The popularity of cooking shows began with Julia Child's The French Chef in the early 1960s. This revolutionary show started a movement that has resulted today in food fascination frenzy that supports multiple TV networks, celebrity chefs, and average people rediscovering their love of all things food. And this love of food has also spurred some great comedic takes on uh, people who get a little obsessed about food. One of my favorites was an episode of Portlandia, which focused on the background story uh, that two customers were getting in a restaurant when they were trying to get locally sourced chicken. The characters asked no less than four times if the chicken was local. And once finding out that his name was Colin and that he ate locally sourced hazelnuts, they still needed more information and go as far as visiting the local farms 30 miles south of Portland and then spend the entire episode investigating in hijinks and end up back at the table to ask some more questions about other local items. Well, comedy aside, there has been a movement focused on the importance of eating locally produced food for a while now. Some people call themselves locavores and make a concerted effort to find and purchase these options. So, is local food always the best choice? Is it worth paying more or seeking out specific stores or markets or restaurants that feature local? Is this just a foodie thing or are there real environmental and sustainability issues? Well, it's interesting. There are definitely some instances where local is a highly desirable choice, but there are cases where a distinctly non-local source makes more sense. There's also the sticky question of what qualifies as local. Some number of miles, one state, one country. These are some of the interesting issues we're gonna jump into in this episode of Pop Agriculture. One of the clearest cut examples of when local makes a lot of sense is when you have access to some seasonal treat, like a fruit or vegetable that grows well where you live. So when I was growing up in Denver, there were certain weeks of the year where you could get cantaloupe grown at Rocky Ford in the southeast part of Colorado. And there was another window when you could buy peaches from the Grand Valley in far western Colorado. But most of the year, there were no local fresh produce options available in that high elevation state. But that made those few times of the year very special. Well, there are similar summer windows for peaches in Georgia, strawberries and raspberries in Oregon and Washington, or tomatoes in New Jersey. There's a winter crop of strawberries in Florida. During these seasonal windows, it's possible for the farmers to let the fruit really ripen to a, a nice level and still get it to the local customer before it sort of fades out or rots. During these seasonal windows, it's possible to let the fruit ripen to a fairly ideal level and yet still get it to a local customer before it fades out or rots. And that kind of produce can show up in stores, but it might also be available at local farm stands. And think about that, that's a way that you can buy these things and actually more of the money goes to the farmer. And that kind of market can be very important for keeping local farming industry going. Now, as great as these geographical seasonal specialties are, from a health point of view, 
it wouldn't be wise to restrict yourself or your family to fresh produce only during these limited number of windows. I mean, one of the best features of our modern food system is the possibility of eating fresh fruits and vegetables all year. I talked about a few of those examples in an earlier podcast titled An Apple a Day, Why Is That Even Possible? With various advances in refrigeration, storage, shipping technologies, and with ways to prevent spoilage, there are virtually always nice choices available in our stores. It's not something we should take for granted. In some cases, this is because we have access to crops that can only grow in the tropics where they're produced year-round. If someone chooses to eat local who lives in a place with even a moderate winter, they couldn't enjoy things like oranges, pineapples, mangoes, papayas, or bananas. And there's also a good reason to go non-local for off-season supply. So, for instance, I live in California, where farmers grow excellent table grapes, and we're able to have those for quite a bit of the year because they use different varieties, grow in different parts of the state, and they do a little storage at the end of the season. But from December through March, it makes a lot of sense to get our table grapes from someplace like Chile or Argentina. Particularly if those come via ocean shipping, it's a winter treat that I feel perfectly good about enjoying. These two Mediterranean climate regions in North and South America can keep all of us in the Americas eating table grapes all year. Now, a serious locavore might argue that these tropical crops or Mediterranean zone crops are luxuries that come with a big environmental footprint because of the food miles involved in getting those things to us from a distant region. Well, the thing is, there are food miles and there are food miles. The energy or greenhouse gas footprint of food transportation depends dramatically on the way they're shipped. So if a farmer could haul a ton of his crop at 10 or 15 miles to the local market in a pickup truck, that would take about a gallon of gas. If a crop is being hauled in a tractor-trailer truck, the gallon of fuel can carry each ton 59 miles. If the crop is being hauled by rail, each ton can travel 202 miles on a gallon of fuel. And if it's being hauled by ocean transport, each ton can travel 514 miles on a gallon of fuel. And then, of course, you have to put all of this in the perspective of uh, the fuel that you or I might burn on that trip to the grocery store where we're only carrying a few pounds of food. There are other reasons why non-local can be the best option. For quite a few crops, there are really important quality factors tied to where the crop is grown. In an earlier podcast titled Why Wheat is Like Wine, I talked about the familiar idea that the best wine comes from certain growing regions, and there's a concept called terroir that has to do with the soil and the weather and the variety. And that's why you pay a lot more for a Napa Cabernet or a French Burgundy. The parallel is that if you want a really great hard red spring wheat to make artisan bread, you really want it to have been grown someplace like North Dakota or Alberta, Canada, because the grain from those regions will have the particularly characteristics that are important for that kind of baking. For craft beer fans, the best malting barley might come from Minnesota or Saskatchewan. And we all know that the best coffee comes from high elevation sites in the tropics. Place can really matter for quality. Now, beyond quality, sometimes the most logical source for a given food has to do with the efficiency of production. Efficiency obviously matters for the economics of the farmer, but there's an important environmental sustainability issue as well. We live in a world with 7 billion mouths to feed, and 
only so much land available to grow it on and only so much water available either as rain or for irrigation. So it makes sense to favor growing crops where they really thrive so that we can make the best use of our limited land and water resources. Incidentally, this also tends to make the food more affordable for the consumer. So, for instance, apples do really well in the Pacific Northwest in the Americas, Washington, Oregon, British Columbia. The weather there is great for quality and dry enough to minimize certain apple diseases. And the industries that have developed there are super productive. Now, if you head a bit east to eastern Washington and Idaho, there's a region which is remarkably productive for potatoes. Again, the weather and the soils are good for potatoes, and there's good source of water for irrigation, and some of the insect pests of potatoes are excluded by the winters that occur there, and some diseases are diminished in importance because of the dry growing season. In California, there are certain coastal counties that have long but relatively cool growing seasons. And that allows farmers there to produce far more strawberries per acre per year than just about any place else in the world. In the range of 30 tons or more per acre per year, picked over a period of six to nine months. For most of these examples I've just described, part of the growing region production example is that some of the worst pests of the crop are avoided. That doesn't mean that these farmers don't still have to control pests, it's just that there are other places where it would be even harder to do that. In all of these cases, it makes perfect sense for those of us who don't happen to live in the high productive areas to buy our food from those sources. While switching back to local, there are some cases where local might not be nearly as positive a thing as it sounds. It's unfortunate, but you can't always believe that what you buy at the farmer's market is really local. There have been quite a few documented cases of fraud where someone buys produce at some place like a local Costco and repackages it and sells it for a higher price to gullible consumers at the farmer's market. It's worth checking with your local farmer's market to see if it has a mechanism to prevent that. There's another cautionary tale for local. Some people are enamored with the idea of urban ag, which might involve growing something like vegetables in empty lots or on rooftops. While this isn't likely to contribute all that much to the food supply, I never mind the possibility of city dwellers actually having some way to see what food production involves. But the potential problem here is that soils in cities are typically contaminated with lead, other heavy metals, and other long-lived chemicals that remain there from the bad old days before we had regulatory bodies like the EPA. You really don't want produce grown in that kind of soil. So if it's going to be grown there, it would be best if they would bring in some other growing medium from the outside and make sure it isn't in contact with the local soil. Speaking of growing media, In an earlier podcast titled The Dirt on Soil, we talked about the fact that some crops can be grown with amazing efficiency in greenhouses and even in vertical farms inside of buildings with all artificial LED lighting. There are definitely some examples here that can be really attractive local food production systems, particularly the high-tech examples that use waste heat from something like a power plant. Now, this will probably only be an option for high-value crops like tomatoes and peppers and cucumbers, but the good examples of this category should definitely go on the yes list for local. Although agriculture has, like most industries, seen great advances in terms of automation, there are still quite a few crops that require fairly intensive hand labor. In relatively affluent countries like ours, not many people are interested in a career as a farm laborer. 
in many countries uh, that have that situation, there are guest worker programs to facilitate a way to employ people from the developing world for whom those jobs might represent a more attractive option than what was available in their home country. And these programs can also provide safe legal ways for those workers to come and go as seasonal neighbor needs go up and down and when they want to go home. Unfortunately, limits in the U.S. agricultural guest system have created a worsening crisis in many specialty crops that have high labor needs. And this has led to increasingly sort of shipping off production of some crops to Mexico and Central America. Now, in some cases, this is perfectly fine, but in other cases, it can compromise quality or production efficiency, and in some rare cases, food safety. This is essentially a political problem, and apparently not one that is easily resolved in our current political atmosphere. Finally, there are some good reasons to source food locally if your farmers are perfectly capable of producing that food in an efficient manner. Now, that may seem obvious, but one of the things that is happening for part of the organic food industry is that companies are tempted to go to foreign sources for organic ingredients that might be cheaper in, than if they were grown in the U.S. or other parts of North America. For instance, it's definitely more expensive for farmers to grow basic feed crops, animal feed crops like corn and soybeans, under the organic rules because the yields are lower. And so those who buy those grains, primarily to feed in organic animal production, can get those grains cheaper from an offshore source like China, India, Turkey, or Western Asia. The problem is that, A, there are many who question the validity of the organic certification process in those places, and B, those crops are not then being grown in a region that enjoys our legacy of high environmental standards, so that we're talking about soils, water, and air that can be polluted with things like heavy metals. And there's also a much less rigorous system to keep out things like the mycotoxins I talked about, which are natural toxic chemicals that come from mold contamination. While most of the safety-compromised import examples have been fed to animals, there are also some dry ingredients used in a processed organic food that's being off-sourced offshore. And there are some items like fruit juices that tend to be sourced from overseas because they're cheaper, even though we have perfectly good domestic supplies. In all these cases of local, local in the sense of domestic sourcing is what consumers should demand. So in conclusion, local does not work very well as a simple definition of what is good when it comes to food. When it comes to food quality, there can be cases where local is great, and there can be cases where distant sources are better. When it comes to environmental responsibility, differences in underlying productivity can be more important than an imprecise measurement like food miles. And when it comes to eating a healthy diet, there are good reasons to enjoy the privilege of a food system with diverse year-round options. And I'm sure Colin the chicken would be just as happy as part of a meal in Portland, Oregon or Portland, Maine. You can follow me on Twitter at GrapeDoc, at G-R-A-P-E-D-O-C, and visit my blog at www.popagriculture.com.